What, what is our relationship to the law? What, what, what is the rightful place of the law in the life of someone who believes in salvation by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? This is one of those questions that's so hard to answer because there's a ditch on both sides. You, you can get it wrong one way and you can get it wrong the other way. I'll talk about those two great errors in a moment, but just pause for a moment. What do you do with the law right now? What is your, your operating uh, theology in practice when it comes to the grace that is available to us in the Lord Jesus Christ and keeping the law? This is a crucial question for us. Today's passage addresses that question. Would you open your Bibles to Romans chapter 13? We are going to read verses 8 through 14. And what these verses answer is the question, what should we do with the law? What is the relationship between gospel and law? Well, what do we do with the law now that we are people of grace? So would you open your Bibles to Romans 13, and as you do, please stand. Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 14. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are all summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time. You know that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, and the day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is the word of God. This is God's answer to the question, what should we do with the law? Let's pray. God, I thank you for this text. It's admittedly not a passage in Romans or the Bible that we go to very often. It's tucked away in a very popular book that doesn't get much time in our devotional lives. I pray that you would help us to understand it, help us to answer the question, what are we supposed to do with the law so that we may live full Christian lives by grace. I pray that you would help me to preach this. I pray that you would help us to receive your word. And I pray that you would help each of us to make adjustments in our lives, to make a place for this text in our lives. For some of us, this will require a, a big adjustment. 
For others, small tweaks to the life we're living by grace. Whether big or small, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to fulfill this text. I pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Please be seated. This is a tough text. It's, it's tricky to understand. Um, it's especially difficult to uh, understand and apply to our lives if we don't remember the macro context in which we find it. Uh, one of the challenges with the book of Romans, I say it a lot, is it, you're supposed to understand the whole book all at once, but you can't preach the whole book all at once. So, so you'll remember that chapters 1 through 11 are all the doctrines that we are to believe. Chapters 1 through 8, the doctrines of our salvation. Chapters 9 through 11, the doctrines of election. Uh, so those first 11 chapters tell us what we ought to believe about truth, about the gospel, about God, about ourselves, about salvation in Jesus Christ alone. Then we get to chapter 12 through 16, and this is how we ought to respond to the things that we believe. So we, our behavior flows out of our belief, the things that we believe in chapters 1 to 11, and then how we're supposed to behave in chapters 12 through 16. Chapter 12 then, in verses 1 and 2, begins with a very important hinge in the book. Take a look at it. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, therefore, in light of the things that you ought to believe in chapters 1 to 11, in light of the doctrines of the gospel of salvation, in light of the doctrines of election, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. If you understand the gospel... By the mercies of God, and that's crucial, we don't do this to maintain our right standing with God, but as an overflow of the, of the mercy of God in our lives, we respond to the gospel, we respond to what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, namely, taking our sin into Himself, dying in our place on the cross, receiving the wrath that we deserve, burying our sins in the ground, coming back to life, ascending to heaven, interceding for us, and promising to return for us, raising us from the dead, we respond to all of that by living for God now. Paul says that's your spiritual worship. So chapters 12 through 16 lay out for us how do we worship a God who has saved us by grace? How do we respond to so great a salvation? That's really what chapters 12 through 16 are, defining what spiritual worship looks like. We've seen three things already that constitute spiritual worship, and today a fourth. The first way that we worship God, that is, worship is a response to who God is and what God has done. So how do we respond to who God is and what He has done? Spiritual worship. The first way that we worship God is, for, is that we do not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. We remember who we are. We remember our dependency on God and we don't begin to compete with one another. And so we saw that in chapters 12, 3 through 8. We see that uh, we, we don't think more highly of ourselves than we ought. We, we have a humble, honest assessment of our need for God's grace. 
in our mutual need for the gospel. And therefore, we join a, a local church and we get to know one another, warts and all. I know you and you know me and you know one another and none of us is perfect and we all need the grace of God. So the first way that we worship God is we remain poor in spirit. Always remembering our mutual need for God through Jesus Christ. Secondly, in chapter 12, verses 9 through 21, we worship God spiritually by letting our love be genuine. That's a bit of an awkward phrase, but it's right out of the text. We worship God by letting our love be genuine. We love one another genuinely. And what does it mean to love genuinely? Uh, we learned in those verses, we love what is good and we hate what is evil. So we immerse ourselves in the Word of God to know what is good, to know what is evil, to approve of what is good, and to disapprove of what is evil, to draw close to what is good, and to uh, turn our back on what is evil. And if we do that, we will love God and one another genuinely. Because that which is good is love of God and neighbor, and everything that is evil deters us from loving God and neighbor. So the second way that we worship God spiritually is we love what is good, we hate what is evil, and that will produce in us a genuine love that is worshipful. The third thing that we learned last week, thank you to Jay for preaching, was that we submit to governing authorities. Jesus Christ is our Lord. That's a political title as much as it is a spiritual title. We submit to Jesus Christ as our highest governing authority. But as our highest governing authority, the Lord Jesus Christ has commanded us to submit ourselves to the governments that he will put over us. So for us here in this local church, that is to submit ourselves to the Council of Barrie, to the province of Ontario, and to the nation of Canada. We submit to our prime minister, and his cabinet to our premier and his cabinet and to our mayor and his council. That's not always going to be easy. And obviously, if they ever ask us to disobey or not to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ, we submit to the, him by disobeying them submissively, which Jay did a wonderful job of discussing what that means. How do you disobey a governing authority? You do it submissively. Part of what comes with that is you accept the consequences of your civil disobedience. Just as Christ did, and he went to the cross. The fourth way that we worship God spiritually, this is how we respond to the gospel. And we started with the question, what do we do with the law? We worship God spiritually by fulfilling the law. Fulfilling the law. This might come as a surprise to some who believe that if you become a Christian, you've done away with the law. The law has no place in your life. It has no authority. It has no role. The law was for old covenant people. We are under grace, under Christ, under the gospel. Therefore, there's no place for the law in our life except that this text tells us that we are to fulfill the law. That the role of the law in our life is that it is to be fulfilled in us 
as we are united with Christ. Does that shock anybody? How do we fulfill the law? Well, today's text, Romans 13, verses 8 through 14, can divide into two parts. We fulfill the law in two ways. The first way, in verses 8 through 10, we fulfill the law by living by love. We fulfill the law by living by love. In verses 9 through 14, we discover that we fulfill the law by living in light. Love and light. We fulfill the law by living by love and by living in the light. If we love and if we walk in the light, then we will fulfill the law. I mentioned that there are two ditches, two ways to get this wrong, two ways that the Christian can, can wrongly uh, try to reconcile their lives under grace with the law. On the one hand is to say that you must keep the law to keep your right standing with God. That's a ditch. It's false. That's not the gospel. We do not gain a right standing with God. We do not maintain a right standing uh, with God by keeping the law without error, without sin, without corruption. That's impossible. That's what the old covenant era was all about, was to show us you cannot make yourself right with God. You cannot save yourself. You cannot maintain a right standing with God by keeping the law. No one will be declared righteous by keeping the law except for the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one. He's the only human that has ever been able to keep the law without breaking it. So if, if if you allow the law to sit on you in such a heavy way that you say that the role of the law in my life is I have to keep it for God to love me. I have to keep it and all of it in order to maintain what I receive by grace, then you've misunderstood the role of law in your life. That's one ditch. But this is what a lot of people who, who steer clear of this ditch, they, they fall into the other error, which is to say that the law has no role in my life. I can't keep the law. I've been saved not by keeping the law. I am maintained by God's grace and mercy through Jesus Christ. Therefore, the law has no role in my life. That, that's an equal error. To say then that we can just become law breakers is to misunderstand the gospel. The right answer for the Christian is in the middle. What's the role of the law in our life? To fulfill the law. And we do this in two ways. By living by love and by living in the light. Now, someone might protest and say, well, what if I don't live by law? What if I don't walk in the light? Then what are you going to do with me? Are you going to throw me in this ditch and say that God doesn't love me, that I've forfeited my salvation? No. Because we will fail and therefore we appeal. By the mercies of God, we worship God. By the mercies of God, we worship Him. We're not going to do these things perfectly. I am going to have too high of an opinion of myself from time to time, and so are you. I am not going to love genuinely all of the time, and neither will you. I will not submit to governing authorities perfectly, and neither will you. I will not fulfill the law perfectly, and neither will you. So by the mercies of God, we do these things. Not expecting perfection, 
Nevertheless, steering toward the goal, which is spiritual worship. To worship God is to fulfill the law. How do we fulfill the law? By living in love or by love and by living in the light. Let's take a look at these two ways that we fulfill the law. Number one, we fulfill the law by living by love. Verses 8 through 10. Let's take another look at them. Owe to no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, now we're into law, right? For the commandments, the commandments of what? Of what covenant? The old covenant? The old covenant doesn't apply to me, we say. Well, hold on a minute. This is a new covenant document. And the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says for the, co- the, the commandments, which apparently are still operative in the new covenant, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment, are summed up by this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. That's crucial at the end there. Love is the fulfilling of the law. So we are to love each other. Why? Because when we love one another, we fulfill the law. What is the role of the law in the life of the Christian? We are to fulfill it. Because love is the fulfilling of the law. Now you might say to me, well, I I think that what we do actually is we take the moral law and we, we, we cut the moral law. There's 613 laws. We identify which ones are the moral laws. We cut them out of the old covenant and we pick them up and we get our glue stick out and we, we glue them into the new covenant. That would be nice if One, you could identify which were the moral laws and which were not moral laws. And number two, if it wasn't for this in verse uh, 9. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not cover. And any other commandment. That would have been a great place for the Holy Spirit through Paul to say, and any other moral law. But he doesn't. He says any other commandment. What, what, what are the any other commandments? Well, we have you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, and you shall not covet. There's four examples. There's 613 laws. So help me out with the math. What does that leave? 609 other commandments? Any other commandment. What commandments are you talking about, Paul? The other 609 from the Old Covenant are summed up by this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now this is a very important hermeneutical uh, insight. How are we to understand and apply the law, all 613 laws? Well, it's through the lens of love. So we are misunderstanding the law that God has given us if a law does not entice us to love. All of the laws that are given in the Old Covenant, which are operative in the New Covenant, not for salvation, but as an expression of worship, there's an important distinction, all 613 laws according to Jesus Christ in the Gospel and according to Paul here, 
all of the laws are meant to help us to understand what it means, what it looks like to love. So if we try to apply a law to our lives in a way that doesn't lead us to love, it's not the law that is deficient, it's our understanding of it. Love of God and love of neighbor is the purpose of the law. Jesus said it. What is the greatest commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as, it's, as yourself. For all of the law and all of the prophets, that's the Old Testament, are summed up in these two commandments, to love God and love people. Therefore, says Jesus, and now here says Paul, if you are trying to live a law that doesn't help you to love God and love people, you've misunderstood the law. And the deficiency is with your reading of the law, not in the law itself. Now, if the gospel is pro-love of God and neighbor, which... I think we can agree it is, right? And all of the laws given to us in the Old Covenant are given to us to help us to understand what love looks like. How could we, New Covenant believers who have been saved by grace through faith, say that we want to throw away the law? When the very law that we are rejecting is God's definition of love. So maybe we need to do more work in the Old Testament in order for this to make sense. Now you might say, second objection, as I anticipate it, you might say, well, Adam, you, haven't you read the rest of the book of Romans? What about, what about justification in Romans 4 and 5? We're not saved by keeping the law. We're saved by grace through faith as a gift. God declares us to be righteous and He maintains our righteousness by grace, not by law-keeping. Paul said that no one will be saved by keeping the works of the law. Have you not read that? Well, of course I've read that. I've preached it. My question back would be, has Paul not read that? Of course Paul's read it. He wrote it. Which means that this can't contradict that. And, and this is the most important thing for us. When we are saying that we are to fulfill the law, what we are not saying is that we must keep the law to be right with God. That was the great error of Israel in the Old Covenant. In fact, the Old Covenant law was given, according to the end of Romans 5, to multiply the transgression, which would then hopefully drive them to Christ or drive them to God's mercy. They may not have been able to articulate Christ. And that's exactly what it did for the Old Covenant believers who were saved. And someone like, let's take David as an example. David looked at the law and he looked at his life and he says, I am not fulfilling that. I'm not keeping that. And so he went to God and he says, God have mercy. And God had mercy. So salvation has always been by grace through faith. There is no one in the old covenant that was saved by keeping the law. And that's what Paul is trying to point out in the book of Romans through his discussion of justification and sanctification and glorification. We are declared righteous when we look at our need 
for justification. What is justification? Just to remind you, justification is to be declared righteous by God. What Paul is dead against, what the gospel is dead against, what we at South Shore are dead against, is anyone who thinks that they can achieve righteousness by keeping the law. But that's not the same thing as saying then the law has no role in our life. It's not the same thing. We look at the law and we look at our lives. We say, I've broken the law. Then we give our sin to the Lord Jesus Christ to carry in his body. We allow him to be punished in our place and he dies in our place. And because of his righteousness, which is given to us, and our sinfulness, which is given to him, God looks at us and he says, I declare you by the works of Jesus Christ, because of your faith, to be righteous. Sanctification, same thing. We, we have a broken heart. We have a darkened, sinful heart. We say, I, I just don't even desire the things that God wants me to desire. So we put ourselves in Christ. We say, Jesus, unite me to you. Give me a new heart. Take this heart of stone out. Give me a heart of flesh. Now when it comes to fulfilling the law, sanctification is super exciting because whereas when, when we were dead with hearts that hated God, we didn't even want to keep the law. But now that we've been united with Christ, which is sanctification, that we've been made new, we've been given a new heart, we've been made obedient from the heart, we have holy hearts, we are righteous in our very nature from the heart, our, our hearts have been circumcised, that is the, the sin nature has been cut out and nailed to the cross, our hearts have been cleansed, now we actually love the law. Now we actually love what is righteous and want to do it. So what's the role of the law in our life? The role of the law is to help us, to guide us, to do the very thing that we now, by sanctification, desire to do. And so we fulfill the law by living lives of love. If you love your neighbor as yourself, if you love the brothers and sisters and even unbelievers, you will not seek to commit adultery. If you love Others, you love God, you will not murder. If you love God and others, you will not steal what doesn't belong to you. If you love God and you love others, you will not want what other people have. And so on and so forth. And so, the great thing that comes from the New Covenant teaching is one law to replace them all. Love. Love 
love fully, love selflessly, give yourself for God and for others, and you will always seek to be a blessing, and you will not sin. Fulfill the law of love, fulfill the law by living by love. Second part, that would almost be sufficient, but Paul adds a second part in verses 11 to 14. We fulfill the law by living in light. Let's take a look at 11 through 14. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. Not in orgies and drunkenness. Not in sexual immorality and sensuality. Not in quarreling and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Uh, Let's start at the very end. Make no room, no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Everything that I said to this point is true. We've been made obedient from the heart. We have a new nature that desires to do what is right. We love the law. We desire to keep the law. And yet we carry with us the flesh that still has a proclivity to sin. uh, Still has a desire to sin. Still even desires sin. So we're divided against ourselves. Heart versus flesh. It's not a division within the heart, praise be to God, but it is a division within our person, a a division between the core of who we are, which is our heart, and our flesh. So Paul, recognizing the struggle, appealing back to Romans chapter 7, says, yes, this is a reality in the Christian life. You will desire to fulfill the law. You will love what is right, but you still carry the flesh around with you, and it will be at war with what you really want to do and to be. And so he says, well, when you're struggling to fulfill the law by loving because you got this flesh, just remember that we're almost at the end. You know the time. In addition to being made righteous by justification, uh, declared righteous by justification, made righteous in our nature by sanctification, we know that the end is drawing near. And therefore, Paul says, if you're struggling to live from the inside out, if you're struggling to fulfill the law by living in love, at least be motivated to fulfill the law by the promise of the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ who will come to judge the living and the dead. Allow the fear of God to motivate you to righteous living. Fear of God, that doesn't sound right except that that's all through the Bible. The fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. Be motivated to fulfill the law by the promise of the end. Christ is coming back. And when we are mindful of Christ's return, our desire for sin, if we're truly saved, will be broken. If you know that a reckoning is coming, you'll have to give an account of your life. Not only do you have a heart that desires to do what is right, but you have a mind that remembers that Jesus is coming back and you will see him face to face. And that is to motivate us to walk in the light. 
if you're struggling with sin, and I'm not talking generically, but if you're struggling with a particular sin, I would first say, tap into your true desire. You've been made new from the heart. You don't actually want to sin. What you're doing is not loving God and loving others. If you're still struggling to gain uh, dominion over that particular sin, think of a sin right now that you're struggling with. Then add to your desire to keep the law the reality that you will give an account to the Lord Jesus Christ for your behavior. Meditate on the return of the Lord and reflect on seeing Him face to face. Put those two together. There are things that we do in the dark when no one is looking that we would not do in the light while everyone was watching. Isn't that true? Things that we say, things that we see, things that we listen to, things that we put in our mouth. Just think about that. If you want to control your life, just think about what goes in your mouth. Paul gives some illustrations. They're, I mean, these are quite the illustrations. Orgies and drunkenness, sexual immorality and sensuality, quarreling and jealousy. You cannot be a Christian and just say those things are okay. And if you can control your body, can you control your mind? Paul goes on and he says, if you're struggling with these things, remember that you know the time. The hour has come to wake from sleep. Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Uh, the, the light is Christ. And the darkness is the era of sin. So if you're struggling in these areas, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. What does it mean to put on the Lord Jesus Christ? I think it means a lot of things. Paul packs a lot into there. Number one, it means to live from your new nature. Put on Christ. Remember who you are. Remember what you really desire, what you really want. And what you really want if you're a Christian is to love God and love others. What you really want is to fulfill the law. That's what you really desire. So put on Christ. Remember that you're united with Him and live for Him because it's what you desire. Now if that is not enough, going back to the verse 11, you know the hour. Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. In, in this context, what is Paul talking about? What is salvation? How can salvation be nearer to us now? I thought I was saved in the past. The salvation that he's talking about is the return of Christ. The return of Christ is nearer to us now than when we first believed. So for as much time as we have from now till then, 
Walk in the light. Cast off these things that you don't even want to be doing. If not for love, for fear. A good fear. Remember that, I'm going to give you a a theological phrase and then I'll unpack it. Remember, definitive sanctification is a motivation for progressive sanctification. I've been talking about this all morning. Definitive sanctification is this idea that you've died with Christ. You've actually died on the cross with Christ. God united you with Christ. You have died with Him and with you, your heart of sin. And then you've been born again. You've been raised with Christ. And you're a new creature. We must always go back to that. If that is true, that will motivate us to be progressively sanctified, that is to live lives increasingly that reflect and fulfill the law. What is progressive sanctification if not that? Progressive sanctification is to increasingly and progressively fulfill the law by the way we live our lives. Spiritual worship then in this text Romans 13, 8 through 14 is the fulfilling of the law. How do we worship God? How does God want us to worship Him? What is pleasing to Him in our worship? What is it that He wants from us? He wants us to fulfill the law by loving Him and loving one another and by remembering that we'll give an account to Him upon the return of Christ. Therefore, we live in the reality that we've been made, we've been declared righteous and we've been made righteous. And from those realities, we find the motivation by God's mercy to increasingly fulfill the law. Before I wrap up, you might say, uh, you said something about keeping the moral law is not enough, that we must also keep the ceremonial law. Absolutely. What is the ceremonial law? Animal sacrifice? Submitting to a, a priesthood? Let's just use those two as an example. We keep the ceremonial law by daily remembering that we approach the throne of grace of God in heaven with the blood of Jesus Christ. So if you think you don't have to keep the ceremonial law, you've misunderstood the gospel. We keep every law about sacrifice, except it's not a a goat or a ram or a bull or a lamb. It's God in human form. And every day, you bring a blood sacrifice to God the blood of Jesus Christ. Priesthood. We still must fall under the mediation of a high priest. As much as we like to talk about the priesthood of all believers, and that's biblical, but let's not misunderstand it. We, as a priesthood of all believers, must come to God our Father through the mediation of a great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. And apart from Him, 
we have no right to stand before God. So do we keep the ceremonial law? We do, through Jesus Christ. All 613 laws, whatever category you want to put them in, we keep them, we fulfill them, and that is spiritual worship pleasing to God in the new covenant. Therefore, spiritual worship is the fulfilling of the law. And to end with this very important clarification, we do not keep the law to be found righteous before God. We do not fulfill the law to maintain our righteousness before God. We fulfill the law because God has declared us to be righteous and He has made us righteous. He has given us His Spirit that now we have the power to fulfill the law which we never had before. And so we fulfill the law not to make ourselves right or to maintain our rightness, but because we have been declared right and we have been made right, and now by the mercies of God, let us grow in fulfilling the law by keeping it more and more every day because that's what we desire to do and because we know we must give an account to the one who saved us. In that in mind, let's answer the question, What should Christians do with the law? Do we throw it away? No. By the mercies of God, we fulfill it. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you have given us clear indication of what it looks like to love you and love others. I pray that you would help us to fulfill the law, not to be made right, not to save ourselves, but because you've saved us. And now let the lives we live uh, be lived for Christ. And may his love fill and overflow from us that we may love you and love others, which is the fulfillment of the law. And remind us always, Lord, that the day will come when we will stand before our risen king and he will see us as we are fully I pray that between this moment and that moment, you would help us to walk in the light. And when we stumble in the darkness, I pray, Lord, cover our sins by the blood of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.